Hi, everybody. David Noor. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Curvebenders Live. It is hard to believe we're in episode 75, 76, something like that. And, and it's been an exciting couple of years of doing this. And I've been uh, really blessed to interview a lot of interesting people. And today's episode, I'm joined by Michelle Konetsky, who's a brand new partner with our firm. Hello, Michelle. Hi, Noor. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Uh, for our audience, uh, if you know anything about me and my business, this is year 20 of our practice for a number of those years. It's been predominantly me. And in the last couple of years, I've been really focused on expanding and extending that to much of a broader we and really bring best in class around this idea of uh, innovative and profitable growth to our clients. So the focus on this episode, and by the way, we're live on Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter. I would encourage you to jump in with your questions, with your comments, and let's make sure you get the insights you need out of, out of our discussions. I'm also always really curious about you know our audience's uh, assumptions and assertions around some of these topics. So feel free to jump in with your questions or comments from me or Michelle. We'll make sure we address those as we go. Michelle, let's jump in very quickly, if we can, with your background, personally, professionally, where have you been? What have you done? How have you arrived here? Sure. Thanks, Nor. Well, so I recently have, I've been in the corporate world for 20 plus years in high tech. Um, and then of that, probably spent about 15 plus years in cybersecurity. So started doing cybersecurity when a lot of people didn't really know what encryption or authentication was didn't really know the value. And, and now people truly understand that security is the foundation of really our life as we know it today, but have um, spent many of those years with the great fortune of doing innovative entrepreneurial kind of things. Did led the, the SSD launch to PCs, generated a new, um, worked with engineering and generated a new technology chip for crypto processing. So a lot of really fun go-to-market, product marketing, branding, positioning type work. But at its core, I've been entrepreneur for many years and have thought about recently just trading in the corporate badge for the life of an entrepreneur. Love so here that. I am with Nora. Love that. And tell our audience a little about your practice. What are you really going to focus on? What's your kind of philosophical approach to product marketing? Yeah. So... Product marketing fundamentally is really the intersection of product, technology, and marketing. I know that sounds uber simple, but in reality, you have very different personality sets on either side. And so I really see myself as being that technology translator to help bring those two together and fundamentally simplify the complex for customers. And from a, from a functional perspective, it's the, the practice is about doing things like um, strategic marketing and planning, making sure that product and marketing are aligned, messaging, positioning, and then even go-to-market, transformational go-to-market pivots and launches. So it, it really does span the gamut of go-to-market strategy, go-to-market execution. Would it be fair to, to classify it as, here's who we are, here's what we do, here's why you should care? Is, is that, a, is that a, like an oversimplified way to think about it? Product marketing, sure, and it it always has the it always has to gen, have the genesis of the customer customer needs. What do they want? What do they care about? Why do they care? Because if you aren't thinking about the customer front and center, 
everything from product development all the way through selling and gaining advocates, you've lost. And that truly is the heart of product marketing. So, Nor, I actually have a question for you and, and your thoughts. And what do you see? So you, you talked about bringing me on as a partner and embracing moving from a me to a we. But really, what what do you see as the, the strategic alignment between relationship, economics, all the strategic relationships that you do and product marketing? So, as you know, I've been facilitating a lot of leadership retreats, a lot of a lot of leadership and board conversations. And Michelle, I, I, I tend to break down complexity in a lot of these organizations into its core essence. And if you think about a sales organization, right, I, that's kind of where I cut my teeth in technology. Sales professionals sell that which they understand, that which they can articulate, that which they can make money on. Right? Just It doesn't get any simpler than that, right? Money. Do, I, do I get it? Can I intelligently and in a meaningful way have a conversation with others around it, whether it's prospects or channel partners or whoever? And can I can I economically benefit from this? The connective tissue in making that work, I believe, is messaging mm-hmm. and branding and product portfolio that isn't so technical that I lose my audience at hello. Right. You sit there, you be quiet. Let me tell you how smart we are because we've got some really smart engineers or we've built this incredible product that you cannot live without. That gets pretty boring pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And what's missing in that formula is that empathy. What's missing in that formula is the big picture. What's missing in the formula is regardless of how great our product or service is, we are but a sliver in that audience's life. We are but a guest in their journey. And the sooner we can make it less about us and more about how they're better off because of us, I've just I see that's where product marketing can shine. Am I am I off base or we're on the same page? No, I think that we're we're absolutely on the same page. And that's it. Back to what I was saying, talking about of just simplifying it, bringing it all, making it relatable to the customer. And just if if you don't do that, then you're gonna miss out. So let me ask you, why is product marketing uh, perhaps overlooked? or not as commonly understood in those who are not in the product marketing function? Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a really good question, Nor. And I think it, it comes down to a couple of things. One, people know marketing, people know product. We have technologists, we have engineers, and those are very consistent functions across different companies. Product marketing, I often find it could sit sometimes in product group, it could sit sometimes in marketing, and so you have different stakeholders, you have different levels of awareness, and that therein lies one of the biggest challenges in that there is no real consistent function. Every company does product marketing a little bit differently. And um, some companies really focus on product marketing being the, the generator of content and just creating a whole bunch of content for campaigns so that marketers can actually get that out there and drive awareness and drive conversion and leads, leads and conversion. And some product marketing is really technical and and that translates into 
messaging when you you see something that's overly technical and not really thinking about the customer and maybe or it sits in engineering or in product group where it's a little bit closer to that product center um, and so the balance is really trying to find kind of one leg in both camps one leg in marketing one leg in product and being able to translate and unify the two so that you have a better more simplified approach and message that you can take to market. In the organizations you've worked with, do you ever get the sense that they're speaking different languages between sales, marketing, and product, and they need almost like a technology translator, someone like you in between those? I, I would say always. I, I was going to start with 99% of the time, but no, almost always. And, and, and really what, what I see, a lot of people are very familiar with the the push and pull between sales and marketing that is tried and true and as old as many years. But really, when you think about the challenges between and the different personalities, so engineers, marketers often look at engineers as kind of the, the ones who are uber tech, techie and focused in the minutia and the super speeds and feeds and techs and tech specs. And then you have engineering and technologists on the other hand looking at marketers as being the, the pie in the sky, the airy fairy fluffy kind of people. So having somebody and a function that sits between the two and can broker those conversations, someone who can understand technology well enough to be able to translate what it's doing, why it's doing, what the core value prop is in context of the target customer. Who are you targeting? Why are you targeting them? That is critical. Someone who on the flip side can also take that and be able to translate that into a message that resonates. And it, it can't be just a message that resonates. And, or maybe one way to look at it is what makes a message resonate. It's something that I believe is authentic. It's approachable. Customers understand what it is. You don't have to go and really read a thesis to understand what the message is. And it's differentiated and unique. There are so many different technologies out there that do very similar things that it has to be different and unique. And then the other, the kind of third pillar for messaging that I think is really important and part of this being able to translate is translating it into something emotive, something that creates passion. It's bringing the heart and soul into it because at the end of the day, we are all trying to win the hearts and minds of our customers. And you can't do that if you approach it in just a pure um, kind of plain, clear, overly technical fashion. I got to tell you, I love that you continuously bring up the customer at the center of everything that we do. The customer as this focal point of what we do, why we do it. How have you been able to help leaders and teams who are very proud of that really cool whiz bang technology they've built? And let's just say they're very adamant about well, we have to tell them about us. We have to tell them how great our stuff is. And in this landscape of cybersecurity, half the stuff you're using doesn't matter. You should use us. How, how, do, you, how do you help them understand the comment that I made earlier, which is it's less about you, more about how those potential relationships or relationships are better off because of you? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Norrin. Thank you. Um, you know, it, it really starts with this fundamental belief that stop creating technology for the sake of technology. 
you are developing a product. And when I say product and I say product marketing, it is hardware, software, services, solutions. Except when we talk, we can't just banter about, about, well, let's talk about product and solution and hardware and services marketing. No, it's product. So whenever I say product, let's just start there and I'll say that product is an Uber umbrella for everything. So back to the question around technology. Don't create technology for the sake of technology. You're creating technology for the sake of customers. Who are your key targets? How are you going to target them? And so how I get around that, and it, it's worked well in the past, is really honestly doing a whole lot of interviews, bringing people to the table and finding ways that giving the technologists and the engineers a voice at that table, giving customers a voice at that table, which is super critical. And that has to be done earlier in the process than right before you launch or even post-launch. It needs to be an early product development. Talking to prospects, who are your target customers? They don't have to be necessarily customers today. Um, And then talking to other key stakeholders and functional areas across the company, including the C-suite. Um, a lot of time, what I've seen, especially with high growth companies, C-suite have a lot of opinions and they should. A lot of times they're founders, they're CEOs and bringing those opinions to ta- to bear collectively and taking the emotion out of the process, which is the opposite of bringing emotion into the messaging, which are two very different things. And um, so critically, I think it's about bringing the emotion out, bringing data, but then not going into a data paralysis loop forever, being able to make decisions, come to terms, and then quickly iterate. So um, kind of a a question for you. You've spent a lot of time with senior leaders, C-suite executives, board members. What do you think they believe product marketing is? Or what are some of their misconceptions of product marketing? Yeah, I got to tell you, at at the most foundational level, it's the tactical stuff, right? My website, right? That's the first place a lot of people are going to go. Are they going to get what it is that we do? It's the collateral that my BDRs and again, I'm, I'm looking at it from a sales standpoint, my sales professional is our pitch deck, right? Can, can you have a consistent pitch deck that is, is by the way, the same, you know, very consistent with a website and can different members of our team articulate that and I love a recent exercise you you coached me and taking a team through, which is that whole 33, mm-hmm. 30, right? Do we have a consistent 30-second elevator pitch? Do we have a consistent three-minute kind of positioning, intriguing, kind of creating a hook for them to want to know more? And then do we have a 30-minute conversation where we can go deeper into what they're doing and and if and how we might be a viable fit? And that's that's such a nugget. It's such a valuable asset, particularly early stage of a company. Or, you know, we, we also work with some mature organizations where they're launching a new product. Or another client of ours is predominantly a product company. They've just acquired a service business. So now they can bring more of a solution to the table. That 3330 absolutely works and it's consistent and it needs to be and it's such a critical exercise that's what a lot of executives i work with kind of revert back to which is our brand our positioning Mm -hmm. in the market is it consistent is are we able to tell a consistent story 
to engage and influence that target audience that we're after. Yeah. And, you know, I think you hit on something here around it's this concept of being flexible and iterating and moving because you can go through an exercise like the, the, the 3330 or you can go through and do message testing. But in reality, companies are and portfolios, product and service portfolios are a montage, a compilation of both organic and inorganic growth. And oftentimes what I'm seeing is that companies don't ever pause to reflect on where they are now. And are the messages congruent between what they thought they were before and where they are now? And that it becomes very clear and evident whenever you're looking exactly at all that content that you were talking about, Nor, which is the very tactical low-hanging fruit. But a lot of times you have to step back and think about the strategy. What is your messaging strategy? What is your portfolio strategy? Are the solutions aligned? Are they making money? Do you need to preen? Not only add, don't always constantly add. You have to think about what is that portfolio and just making sure that everything is really symbiotic. I'm going to say aligned from business strategy, business corporate strategy to positioning and messaging of corporate down to portfolio strategy, messaging, and then you get down into the individual product services and solutions. But if it doesn't all work together, it's going to be very evident on your website. You're going to confuse customers who mean that they won't buy from you. They'll go buy from somebody who is easier to buy from and has a better, better value prop for them. You're going to confuse your sellers, which means they're not going to accurately very well sell, which we all need sellers. And you can confuse internal. You can confuse advisors, investors, and who wants to invest in a company that is so discombobulated and just, I'm not going to say discombobulated, disconnected from business strategy into product strategy. For our audience, for our audience if, if you just joined us, you're listening to Michelle Konetsky. She's our brand new business partner that leads up our product marketing practice. And we're talking about the power and promise of product marketing when it's done well. So on that note, Michelle, what do you, when you go into an organization and you engage the leadership team, whether it be a marketing function or sales or across the organization, what are some of the bigger challenges you come across in their, not just intellectually understanding product marketing or solution marketing, but executing it? Where are they falling short? You know, Honestly, it's organization dependent. And we may even see in, in a couple of our clients, we've seen in a couple of different organizations within the same company, different challenges. But at its core, and I'm going to say it kind of falls down into a handful of core solutions or core issues. And one is product. Have you developed the right product and launched the right product that meets your target customer needs? listening to your customer. And, and you will continue to hear me harp on the customer because I think that that is so core and essential to success and accelerated growth. Um, a second one is really being able to identify who your target customers are and know that you have competitors. Who are those competitors? Where do you win? Why do you win? And are you really positioning to the right audience and knowing that you may have different messages per different audience. And I know a lot of people think about um, just personas and talking to the right person. That's nothing new.
whenever you take it and really merge it with your maturity as a company, your maturity as your portfolio, now you know the right customers to really truly target. And know that, that that may change through time. You may want to really go after the large enterprises, but if your platform and software is not quite tailored to, to execute to those high expectations, maybe you need to down market a little bit for a period of time while you give engineering some time to catch up. And for, our, for our audience, again, if you haven't had a chance to visit uh, NOR Group, N-O-U-R group.com, uh, we've been focused a lot on, and we're, we're, we're having a lot of great conversations with leaders around this idea of a customer lifecycle maturity model. And increasingly, the more we kind of get to know them and ask and look at what they're doing and how they're doing it, we, we keep wondering, you know, where are you really strong, whether it's awareness or engagement, evaluation, purchase? And then, you know, again, I wrote in relationship economics, the relationship really starts once that relationship buys. So adoption, impact, and really creating evangelists out of them is a, is a critical deepening opportunity of the relationship. It's a critical opportunity to continue to uh, strengthen the relationship, build barriers, to competitors in that relationship. So it's not just that they'll renew, they'll also go deeper and wider and do more with you. Michelle, in looking at this maturity model that we're working on, where does, I kind of know the answer, but I want to hear from you. Where does product marketing most impactful? Where does product marketing its greatest in its value creation? Yeah, the, the easy answer is to say everywhere, Nor. Uh, frankly, and, and that is not overstating the value of product marketing. It is truly back to the connective tissue between technologists, technologists and engineering and marketing along with customers. And if you look at the left side of this loop, it's all about making sure that customers and prospects know what your product is, that it solves their problems, gives them the opportunity to buy, and then compels them to want to buy and actually act and buy. But they're only going to do that if the right side is great with product and solutions. And you only develop great product if you keep the customer in mind. And that is a lot of that, being able to translate what we're hearing from customers, what we're hearing from industry trends and market, bring that down into product. But it you only get that swing curve, which helps you accelerate momentum and growth if and when you are delivering on impact and converting on customer evangelists, customer advocates, I like to say. And there's an entire effort around growing, cultivating customers as advocates and pulling them in and using them to inform your product strategy and roadmap. So it product marketing really does work across the entire continuum to really reduce that friction and make sure that the the translation is happening between the disparate groups. Well, one of the telltale signs that I'm fascinated by, and I tell a lot of clients that your best marketing often is an existing happy client <laughs> talking to a prospect. And I, and I, and I often love being just a, an observer of that conversation because mm -hmm. I think it really reinforces how strong, how consistent, 
our product marketing is when they talk about, here's the problem we had. Here's how we found these guys. Here's how we quickly understood what is it that they do and whether it was a proof of concept or some sort of a trial or some sort of a kind of an early you know, step into the relationship or what I call the relationship on ramp. We figured out that they're the right fit. We bought them. We've used them. We've gotten exactly the value that we had anticipated. And now we're doing more with them. That, that you know, just taking an existing happy customer, taking someone else through that process, to me is a telltale sign of how well our product marketing uh, is aligned between the vision, the strategy, what we want to do in the market, and actually its execution of it. Is that a fair barometer? Yes, I, I think it is. And in fact, I think, and we've hit on a couple of these already, is a lot of companies focus on the, the tactical aspects. So give me that customer testimonial, give me a pull quote, give me a little use case, a case study that I can put either on the web or talk about. But in reality, you can develop those. But if you're not thinking about the strategic piece and alignment to begin with, that's where you get the disconnection. And you're going to, that's where I see the scale and growth limited. So kind of in that vector, Noor, um, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges with misalignment between go-to-market strategy and execution that you've seen some of, as you talk about business, execute, uh, business strategy with your clients? What have you seen? Yeah, I think, again, our audience certainly by now has heard a great deal about you know, product market fit, right? Uh, my challenge, my struggle is, I think a lot of people believe it's a point in time. Mm -hmm. And I actually believe it's an ongoing, and you said it, it's, it's, it's got to be a feedback loop mechanism. It's got to be an ongoing evolution. So the founders, the executives of that function, of that group, of that line of business typically have a vision. Here's where we're going. Here's how we're going to get there. They articulate that vision. They go to, you know, they build a product or a solution. They go to market with that vision. They, they may get some, you know, early success and they, they tweak it. They kind of adapt it. And they start to, Michelle, build what I believe to be that perfect execution box, right? We say this, we do this, they buy and, and just rinse and repeat. And I think the missed opportunity is, once they buy, how do we now become the student? How do we kind of go back and recalibrate that product market fit for the iteration of it, for the evolution of it, and continue to learn from every interaction and either two opportunities there, go deep, land and expand, right? Go deeper and wider into that customer or that customer segment, or you and I've seen this all the time. The initial customer we kind of go to market with and find may or may not be ultimately the biggest market opportunity for us. So only when we listen, on when, only when I, I genuinely believe this, we become students of our own value creation, will we find an opportunity to tap into those other markets or other market opportunities. I don't see enough of that balancing and it is a balancing act between performing, we got numbers, we got a PL, we got to deliver on our commitments, all that is performing. And I don't want to take anything away from that. It's critical. What mm -hmm. I'm not seeing is a balanced approach between that performing and learning. 
How right. do we continue to learn as a culture, as a leadership team, as a sales team, as a marketing team, as a product team in the evolution of our product market fit? Does that does that make sense? Does that resonate? Absolutely. And I think the so the image that Nora you brought up to share with everybody a few minutes ago, that is why there is no surprise or mistake in us using an infinity loop for our customer lifecycle maturity model. It is because it is infinitely continuous. It is not something that is a start, stop, and then restart and re-go. It is something that you continuously evolve left side to right side. And when you flip from purchase over into product, and then you flip over into advocacy, and then it, you spin that up again. It is that loop and being able to really reevaluate and grow and improve across all stages of the loop that truly allow what I call scalable and accelerated growth is growth is growth, but at some point it's a house of cards if you don't make it scalable. Love that. So let's let's build on that evolution conversation. As you know, curve benders and a lot of what I've been talking about the last couple of years is about this future of work, about the evolution mm-hmm. of how we'll work. Talk about two, three trends you've observed in product marketing that you believe are, are here to stay maybe in the last couple of years through this pandemic. And and I want to know, to build on that, what are you really excited about? What do you believe these trends will go? Like, you know, we hear a lot about product-led growth, PLG, right? Where is that going? Why is it so hot? So talk about trends for a second. Yeah, and I'm, I'm chuckling because that was my first trend that I was going to talk about. So <laughs> yes, product-led growth is probably one of the, let me back up. In the past, and I would say the majority of companies today really focus on market-led and sales-led growth, using marketing to grow awareness, drive leads, drive conversions with the partnership of sales and sellers going out and shaking down trees and finding the big whales. Just pull it, it's a, I'm going to say a symbiotic relationship between the two. It has been with friction because there's always a the, what I mentioned earlier around marketing and sales conflict, um, who has the right number, who owns the lead, et cetera. But what is happening now is that there is product-led growth, which is truly about using your product, what you are selling to be the genesis of customer awareness and evangelization and just grow that purchase, which means being able to do that without all of the marketing and sales heavy investments. Now that might lead some people to think, well, are we going directly all the way to, do we see a, a future where PLG is the future? I actually see it as something where the pendulum might swing back. It's more of an optimization because product-led growth, PLG is not going to be the right thing for all companies at all times. Sales-led growth, not the right thing for all companies at all times. And so it's really an optimization mm-hmm. between product, sales, and marketing. And then, then again, it's that middle of product marketing being able to help translate and help between the, the three. So that's one big trend. And the second trend is it, it's maybe not so much of a trend yet, but it, it's something that I think is important. And I, I actually could foresee it becoming a trend. And um, with, the, with the pandemic, we've all started reevaluating where we work, how we work, but also who we work with and why we work with those people or 
who we buy from and why we buy from those people. So product marketing truly is about the intersection of product and marketing and customer. But the trend that I think is going to start bubbling up more and more, and it's actually very near and dear to me, is just bringing humanity into business, bringing humanity back into business, working with people that you like to work with, buying from people who have a mission that you believe in. And it goes beyond just having a message that is emotive and causes people to want. It truly is aligning the, the need of human presence and emotion and heart and soul into business. And, and I, I personally just fundamentally think that that's so important um, because relationships, we all know, I mean, Nora, how many books have you written on the subject? Relationships are the core. And it's not just about winning a customer in the end. It's about feeling good about what you do and bringing in that heart and soul. So something I'm very passionate about and something that as you continue to work with me and as my clients continue to work with me, I bring my passion to my work. I bring my passion to what I do. And it truly is about bringing the human element back into business. Love that. And as you know, I've also been a student of business relationships for the last 20 years, as you were kind of to mention. And uh, Michelle, what I've been fascinated by in the last couple of years, if you think about it, in the last two years of this global pandemic, we haven't spent more time with more people. We've actually spent more time with fewer people. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in relationship economics, I wrote again in co-create and curve vendors, this idea of the Jerry Maguire business model of how do we focus on fewer people, but build deeper, richer, more meaningful relationships with them. And I agree. It, it starts as much within the organization, within the department, within the function, within the business. And just like a family, if it's dysfunctional on the inside, everybody sees it. Everybody, everybody, everybody picks up on it. So how do you ensure? And, and, I, and I tend to agree with you. I think product marketing also becomes a huge asset to every organization in how they recruit talent. Is this someone who believes in kind of our mission, our vision, and the customers we want to serve and the part of the market segment? Mm-hmm. That we address. And by the way, when you know you hear a lot about to build on your comment, this idea of great resignation, they're not leaving jobs, they're leaving crappy bosses, they're leaving crappy work environments, they're leaving, you know, a, an idea a minute that that really brilliant CEO has of no, nope, we're gonna go this way. No, no, no. Did I mention that we're gonna go this way? No, no, no. We're gonna... And they feel like their work doesn't matter or doesn't contribute to ultimately where the organization is trying to get to. Right. So just getting your two cents, what do you think are some of the biggest trends that would also impact product marketing? Any any other trends that you're that are yeah, I, I, gotta, I, I gotta tell you, I, I've been I've been thinking a lot about and and I, again, you know this, some of some of my closer business relationships know this. I've got six or seven other books in my head, and, and one of them has to be around this customer experience. Michelle, for a long time, I've believed that products and services are table stakes, right? That That's the kind of the minimal viable kind of solution, if you will, right? The experience we create, and that's more than just customer service. I would submit it's more than just customer advocacy. It really is that customer or, or just that experience we create for internal 
as well as partners, as well as customers. So I've been thinking a lot about kind of the different customer trends and the experiences that we all demand. By the way, if we can all get things delivered by Amazon, you know, back of a back of a truck or back of an Uber driver this afternoon, if I ordered this morning, what do you mean it's going to take you three weeks to get me something, right? So a lot of our consumer experiences are setting the tone for our business relationships, one. Two, obviously, you brought it up, emerging technologies, the fact that increasingly companies can anticipate what people need, I think is a big trend. Uh, the whole idea of co-creation, collaboration, these these genuine relationships between like-minded professionals, I think it's going to really build on that and impact that. And then the whole ecosystem of work. I know you and your team go in and we, you know, you can do as little as, or as somebody needs as much as they need. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to see more of that where what I care about are the best ideas. It doesn't matter to me whether that's an employee or a contractor or an outsource service, or again, I call it the, ho- the Hollywood talent model. If you think about it in Hollywood, very few people actually work for the studio. The studio hires an executive producer who gets the on-camera talent, off-camera talent. There's no, you know, in essence, you know, yeah. it's a common mission, common vision, common something we're going to work together for some period of time. But there's no job security other than the quality of our work and the breadth and depth of our relationships. And I think that's what you're going to increasingly see in the corporate arena as well. How about you? Uh, let's let's ask about. I mean, find out about. Um, where where what are you most excited about the clients you're working with today what are you most excited about seeing their product marketing maturity evolve what do you see them going what are you most excited about that front row seat to seeing their evolution yeah that's a, a very interesting question and it, it it does make you a, a person pause and reflect and think back like okay how am i helping people and truly I, I enjoy helping people. I, I love solving problems, but what I'm, what I'm most excited about really kind of falls into a couple of areas. So one, seeing people take something very overtly complex and overly technical and just simplifying it to the point that it's like, aha, now it makes sense. Now it resonates. And doing that across one company is really cool. I've done it. I've had to do it across five different companies at one time. So it it is a big challenge and it can be done, but it's really continuing to iterate and iterate and iterate until you get to that right aha moment. And seeing people get to that point and embrace it and accept it is so personally rewarding. Um, and then just there's a, a particular client that is, I'm going to say, not ready to launch broadly and just seeing the evolution of companies mature internally, grow, and helping them with the processes. Maybe it's some of the content, maybe it's some of the strategy, but really bringing it all together and seeing the companies that I help scale and grow is just, it's rewarding in and of itself. And so those are just a couple of quick examples. Yeah, I I love the, uh, the maturity of their questions. Think about it a second. Early on when you're working with them, they don't know what they don't know. So the questions tend to be fairly generic and 
kind of foundational. As they develop, as they mature, as they get out and test some of these ideas and figure out what lands and what doesn't, I love seeing the maturity of their questions. They become mm -hmm. more specific. They become more uh, sophisticated. They become more intelligent. They become more well thought out. They become more positioned as we tried it. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't work. Here's what I'm thinking we need to do differently. What do you think? That's a very different conversation than how do, how do we do this? Or what should we what should be on the website? Or what do we do next? Right. And it's really funny, those people who embrace the partnership mentality, because it, it's not a, we've invented it here and therefore this is what it is. If it's not invented here, it's, it doesn't exist kind of thing. It's more of a collaborative, like, collaborative approach. And that feeds and amplifies and improves through time. And it, it takes a real, a really strong leader who is who is able to embrace the fact that they may not know it all. Shoot, we don't know it all either. But it is bringing like-minded individuals together and being able to look at a problem and solve it collectively because you, you get better inputs, which lead to better outputs. Talking about helping people, talking about solving problems, you are launching your own live stream and podcast. And talk a little about that and, and what are you most excited about? <laughs> well, a lot of people who know me know that I am not active in social communications, but I am growing to, just like everybody else, I've launched my own product, my own self. And so there too, I have to grow and evolve. And, and social comms is one of those areas. And so as Nora alluded, I am standing at my own podcast and live stream, and it's going to be called product, period, growth, all in caps. And the reason is, is that at the core, product is what enables growth. Yes, you have to have sellers, you have to have marketers to be able to get that. But without the right product for the right customer at the right time, you will not have growth. And so the podcast is really all about talking about the, the alignment of go-to-market strategies, go-to-market execution, and what works and what doesn't work. Um, bringing in different people and interviewing them of growth. How did they see growth, what were some of the key things that it fueled that growth exponentially um, and some of those requirements. So that is starting May 3rd and you will be able to find it on all the normal social comms and social channels. And thank you to Nora for helping fuel that. <laughs> uh, but that that is coming up May 3rd. So stay tuned, more coming and the inaugural one will be around the corner. Love it, love it. So excited for you. and. For our audience, I would encourage you. It's going to be Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Look for product, period, growth, all caps, uh, hosted by Michelle. I'm going to join as well periodically as a co-host or fill in when she may not be available or just I might be a fly on the wall. But I'm excited about inviting guests. We've met some really interesting CMOs and partners and brand strategists and naming experts and technologists, a lot of folks that really impact the product marketing ecosystem, if you will. And I'm excited, Michelle, for you to launch this and get your ideas and perspectives out. Where can our audience learn more about you, about your product marketing practice? 
Uh, so a couple of places, I would say norgroup.com. That's our website. There's information there. But also hop on to, to NOR Forum. We have a NOR Group Forum where it, it's a community where we're live and talking about different challenges and problems. And then, um, of course, the upcoming podcast and live series. I would, I want to double that. I want to, I want to double down on that. Yeah. Norgroup.com slash forum is our private online community. We'll host articles. We'll host conversations. There's a whole marketing branding uh, group that you can also join. Uh, but there's a lot of rich conversations. This is an example of a trend we saw some time ago, which was regrettably a lot of the public social networks are becoming increasingly more promotional, more political, more polarizing. And I, I don't know about you, I belong to about four or five different kind of these smaller private communities. I, um, I It reminds me of your favorite baker or put, you know, a butcher or, you know, you go there for a very specific reason. You like hanging out with other people that are part of that community. That's what we've done with North Forum. So I would encourage you to come join us, Michelle and our other business partner, Jen Kortz, are also contributing on a regular basis to the conversation. And there's a lot of good, rich, rich conversations there. So, Michelle, any final comments before I bring us home? No, just thank you for partnering with me. And I'm super excited about our venture together as we really combine relationships with heart and soul and product marketing to bring this all together and help companies accelerate growth. Sounds great. My pleasure. Likewise, look forward to our continued collaboration and work together. For our audience, this has been Curvebenders Live. Delighted you were able to join us. Join us again every Tuesday at noon Eastern, where I'll share insights from my latest book called Curvebenders. We're also going to pick up additional guests, a lot of the Thinkers 50 community, a lot of uh, executives that I come across and I work with that are really thinking a lot about the future of work and our evolution as individual contributors, as managers, as leaders in learning and growing at an accelerated pace. On behalf of my business partner, Michelle Konetsky, thanks for joining us. I'm David Knorr. We we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care.